the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Coming up on Detroit Today, we'll continue our conversations from the Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island. Governor Gretchen Whitmer will join to talk about her agenda for this election year. Former Macomb County Congresswoman Candace Miller will talk to us about infrastructure. And Wendy Jackson from the Kresge Foundation will talk about the city of Detroit. That's all next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Detroit Regional Chamber's annual Mackinac Policy Conference, which is back live after two years of disruption because of the COVID-19 pandemic. All the politicians, business leaders, and philanthropic leaders are here. Lots and lots of media are swarming around as well, and we are talking to all of them about why we do this every year. Why do we come to Mackinac to talk about the state's challenges and problems? Are there things that we can solve here that we can't when we're back in Detroit or Lansing or Grand Rapids? Joining us now is someone who is at the nexus of a lot of those questions. She is the governor of the great state of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. Governor, welcome back to Detroit Today. I'm always glad to be with you, Stephen. Yes, Thank good you. To, it's good to see you. First question, why are you here? Why do we do this every year? Well, you know what? I, I know it's an unusual thing to leave the city of Detroit to talk about a lot of the <laughs> Detroit, Detroit Regional Chamber. <laughs> but, right. you know, when you when you do that, people don't go home at night. Yes. They ended up end up having conversations that you might not have elsewhere. This is an opportunity for me to have a lot of meetings that are very difficult to put together, can be very uh, efficient here, and listen to people that are thinking about these tough issues that we're confronting, mm-hmm. build collaboration, and get things done and that's that's why I'm here I've always found these if you actually attend the programming which <laughs> frankly not enough people not do enough sometimes people do. when they get here yeah um, there's there are great thought leaders who are trying to solve problems and and can partner and yeah. that's that's all of our goal I think so what's on your agenda this week well you know uh, I am going to be giving my keynote mm-hmm. um, we're talking before that happens but this layer <laughs> after it that's happens right. uh, but I want to focus on you know the the what we've done to get here, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good stuff happening. We've got a lot of challenges yet to address. Um, and what the vision mm-hmm. is going forward. We want to think about not just one administration, not just two administrations, but what is Michigan going to look like for our kids and for potentially their children, right? Mm-hmm. We've got to have long-range thinking. We've had to deal with crises. We've had to live in the moment. But we also got to do some long-range planning. We can do both. We must do both. And I'm excited about the opportunity in front of us. Yeah. So we have this unusual revenue situation in Michigan where we've got all this federal money that has landed in our laps. But we've also got more revenue from state sources than we anticipated. There's a lot of people saying spending spree, right? Let's let's go fix everything. It's more complicated than that. But But talk about how we should be using this money and how we maybe should not be using this money. I think you're asking a really smart question, and it's one that um, I think, you know, is important as I have dialogue and negotiations with the legislature that I always have in the back of my mind. (laughs) We got to make the, you know, we've got to make strategic decisions, and we can't build a structural deficit. Um, We can afford to give people some relief right now, and I'm interested in doing that. I'm not interested in games or talking points. I want to get some money in people's pockets who are struggling to pay the bills or struggling to gas up their car. But we gotta be we gotta be thoughtful. We've got a lot of one-time dollars, mm-hmm. and as every person knows, if you get an, a sudden influx of one-time dollars, you don't mm-hmm. obligate yourself to something that is right. gonna cost you for the next 30 years. Sure. So we gotta be smart about it. But we can afford to give people relief right now. We can get a budget done that prioritizes education and healthcare and closing the skills gap and the fundamentals. We can do both. We gotta do both. So you say give people relief. 
in your mind, of the proposals that are on the table, which one, which one makes the most sense? Well, I've suggested that we do like a $500 tax rebate. Yeah. Um, it is a way that we could move fast and give people relief now. What the legislature sent me about a month ago wouldn't even have gone into effect until 2023. People who are struggling right now don't need a promise of some help a year from now. They need help right now, and that's why this tax rebate is probably the fastest way we can we can help folks. Perhaps there's a, a sales tax on gas elimination we could do that would take some of the heat off at the pump, but um, ultimately that would miss people, some people that are struggling right now, like folks that aren't gassing up their cars or riding the bus because they can't afford a car, right? Sure, right? They need relief too. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the problems with this, though, is it's an election year. So... It's not just that citizens are eager to get some relief. You have politicians who want to say, hey, I gave you that relief, so you should go pull the lever for me in in November. Uh, talk about the negotiations with your Republican colleagues who are pretty pretty worked up about the idea of, of tax relief as well. Should this not take place in the election context? Could we wait until after November to really think about this? Well, a couple of things. We got to get a budget done. And the fiscal year starts October 1, but yes. we know school's fiscal year starts July, July 1. Yeah. And that's why we got to get this budget done. Uh, the legislature changed the law a few years ago. They're supposed to have it done by the end of June. <laughs> They've not yet met that <laughs> legal requirement. They're but working on it. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this year's the year because yeah. there's a, important investments we have to make. And to achieve our goals, um, schools need to have lead time to hire the tutors if we're going to give them the resources for individualized learning, which is what I've suggested. Um, our municipalities, same. They're going to hire additional um, you know, people to, to help keep communities safe. They need to know what they're working with, and they need to get to work. So uh, time is of the essence, yeah. and certainly uh, not everything needs to be decided before the election, but getting a budget done and getting people relief right now are paramount. Yeah. So uh, it is an election year. You are seeking re-election. Uh, we don't know yet who you'll be facing on the Republican side, but uh, give me the pitch. Why should Gretchen Whitmer be the governor of the state of Michigan? Well, tough times call for tough people, and Michiganders are tough. We've been through a lot together. There are a lot of good things that are happening in our economy right now. We've made historic investments in education. We're closing the skills gap. Uh, 250,000 more people have health care today than when I took office. 13,000 lane miles, 900 bridges, and we are putting our foot on the accelerator. There's orange barrels everywhere. There's, and we're making it we're on the cusp of additional announcements of, around jobs and investment in our economy. So um, we've got some real challenges in front of us. But we're making progress, and we got to put our foot on the accelerator. Yeah, four years ago, you said fix the damn roads, and that got lots of people uh, very enthusiastic about uh, you being governor. Did we deliver on that? Well, Michiganders know this has been decades of underinvestment, and you can't undo decades of underinvestment in the span of four years or even eight years. But we are making progress. And as Secretary Buttigieg said yesterday here, yes. Michigan's in a stronger position than other states because we've been focused. It takes engineering. It takes planning. I mean, this a lot of work goes into translating these dollars into fixing roads. We're in a stronger position. We're going to continue to move fast. But when people are out there and they see those orange barrels, I hope they remember, number one, slow down. Because those orange barrels mean jobs, and that's men and women working on the side of the road. people working there, right? Be yeah. careful. It's dangerous. Yeah. But also it's a sign of progress. I know we're going to go from griping about potholes to griping about construction, but construction <laughs> is a, is a absolutely uh, positive sign. It's temporary. It's temporary. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, always uh, great to see you. And uh, thanks for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Detroit Regional Chamber's annual Mackinac Policy Conference. I want to welcome a really important voice in Michigan to the show. Jeff Donofrio is the CEO of Business Leaders for Michigan. Jeff, welcome to the program. Stephen, thank you for having me. Yeah. Talk about what Business Leaders is and why what I just said, that it is a really <laughs> critical part of 
our state. What is it that you guys are up to and doing? Well, Business Leaders for Michigan has been around since 2009. We represent the largest employers in the state. Mm -hmm. uh, they are putting uh, more than a trillion dollars into the economy every year, and they represent half a million employees in the state. So their investments, the work they do, is driving Michigan's economy. What we're focused on is how we make Michigan more competitive, how we compete to win, which is our new plan for the state to become top 10. And it really focuses on four areas, doing better by our kids, right? We need to have a, the world-class K-12 system that's going to put Michigan above all else and, and really help us bring in new investments, new jobs, generate new companies. We need to make sure that we invest in people. One of the things we've struggled with as Michigan is we're 41st in labor force participation rates. We're 44th in growth. So we have a lot of people we got to get back in the workforce and a lot of people we have to help move along a career pathway. We've also got to bring more people into the state, particularly with high skills. So immigration, migration to the state is really important. We've got to accelerate our economy, make sure that we can win projects and jobs and investment and really compete against these other states, many of which we've seen have gotten big investments in industries that have been the core of Michigan's economy for so long. And then finally, we've got to get the fundamentals right, that infrastructure investment, making sure that we're a welcoming state, making sure that we have protections in place and a competitive tax and regulatory climate, all really important and things we're focused on. So we are not a top 10 state. I mean, it is, of course, implied by <laughs> the theme here. But I, I'm not sure people really understand how far we are sure. from being a top 10 state and the fact that we've been sliding backwards for quite a while now. We have. You know, so we hit rock bottom just after the Great Recession. We were 49th out of 50. And the progress we've made since then to get to 29th is, is something we should celebrate. There were a lot of investment, a lot of new jobs created, a lot of you know, strong leaders who, who made that happen. But getting from 29th to you know, middle to top is going to be really tough. Yeah. And when you look at some of the, the statistics, if we're 41st in labor force participation and we're 35th or 36th in education, the number of people who have degrees after high school, poverty is high. And there are too many things that we need to overcome. There are a lot of headwinds. But we have this great opportunity. We've got $10 billion in one-time funding that we can invest to accelerate our place to really overtake some of those states that in recent years have been overtaking Michigan. Yeah. One of the things that I also think it's hard for people to quite grasp is the need for investment. Yes. Investment in our people, investment in our infrastructure as a way to move up that economic ladder. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think it's an either-or question of tax policy, right? If we have this tax or that tax or this tax incentive or that tax incentive, that's the way forward. But they're not thinking about these long-term right. investments that pay off in ways that other states are really enjoying right now, but Absolutely. that we are really far behind on. I'll give you two examples, Stephen. The Ford Blue Oval site went down to Tennessee on a site that had been invested in by the state of Tennessee for 20 years. Mm. Infrastructure had been put in place. The state was maintaining that site, pitching it, and it was available for this multi-billion dollar investment, the largest investment I think Ford made. We don't have that same discipline or strategy here in Michigan, and that's putting us at a disadvantage when these mega battery sites and other projects are looking for places. The other thing is we always considered ourselves you know, a higher talented, educated workforce than some of the states in the South, mm -hmm. um, Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee. And that was true 10 years ago. Today, that's not true. Georgia and Kentucky are more educated states than Michigan. Tennessee is on our heels. And it's because they put in place investments that help people get to college, that help people get apprenticeships and credentials and degrees in ways that Michigan is only now starting to put in place. The level of cooperation in these states that are ahead of us I think is also key. And it's been a, a, a huge hurdle for us here. Yeah. When I talk about co cooperation, I'm not just talking about Republicans and Democrats in Lansing. Talking about business and politics, business and th philanthropy, education and politicians. Uh, we're not winning on many of those fronts either. Yeah, uh, you know, the persistence towards executing on a strategy over decades is what winning states are doing 
on a continual basis. Uh, and that's what we see across the board and countries uh, that we're competing against, too. Uh, you look at Canada, Ottawa and Ontario, Toronto have grown by leaps and bounds because of their immigration policies. And that's you know resulted in a lot more investment of new jobs, uh, startup businesses in a way that Michigan really hasn't seen and the United States hasn't seen in some regards. We've talked about the fact that strategies here in Michigan sometimes don't outlast political terms of office, right? Whether that's legislature or governor, mm-hmm. but sometimes it doesn't even outlast an individual's term. So within two or four years, we change strategies. And we you know, have a new uh, policy on education performance standards, or we have a new policy on economic development every couple of years that throws out what we just invested in and worked to create. And that's really putting us behind. Yeah. We, we've got to have that strategy. And you're right, it goes beyond just policymakers. It's the business community, it's philanthropy. Stephen, we've talked a lot um, about Southeast Michigan and how dysfunctional it has been at times with even just from a regional labor shed coordinating and trying to solve talent problems, trying to approach economic development as a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not happened in the past. And we know even in uh, public transportation, we haven't been able to solve those issues. Leadership, of course, is the thing that in many states gets everybody going on sure. uh, all of these different issues. We struggle with that in Michigan as well, but I wonder if you can talk about a leader or a set of leaders who you would like to see take this report and run with it, compete to win our path to top 10. Who has to be at the front of that line? I think it starts with the legislature and the governor coming together and trying to solve these issues. You saw in December where they came together and created the SOAR Fund, an incentive program that helped with closing of deals, right? It wasn't going to win us deals just on its own, but it would help us get across the finish line. Mm -hmm. It also put money into proactive site development. So there were shovel-ready sites that businesses could come in and invest in and, and bring jobs to the state in. That's the type of leadership we need to come around these issues. But, Stephen, I think there's an issue that many of us are talking about on the island here, which is if the problem isn't well understood by the public, too, it's very difficult for there to be consistency and that for our leaders to take it seriously. Education being a great example of that. We did a survey in February and asked voters, you know, where do we rank Michigan's education system? And they said 26.5, right in the middle of the country. So they think our education system is average. When you ask them, where does your local education, your, your school district rank, they said above average or excellent. And what we know from the data is that Michigan is at the bottom of performance mm-hmm. among states and that every district, high-performing districts, medium-performing districts, low-performing districts are underperforming their peers across the country. Do you see someone who seems ripe for <laughs> for the baton but the baton handoff here right somebody who's who could be our champion I do think that uh, you know with term limit reform we're going to have a chance if that passes this That's year That's a really important change that yep. we have just begun to talk about really but but giving people yeah. more opportunity to learn how legislative process works and things like that before they have to go back home Can you imagine any other profession where you would say you know, inexperience is the most important thing <laughs> right. uh, for you it's to the have. Only thing. That's yeah. right. So we've endorsed the term limits proposal, and we think it's a step in the right direction to help have consistency and leadership that is going to build relationships across the aisle and even within their own caucus. Because when you see so much turnover every year, it is really hard to understand what came before, why it happened, what the issues are, and then how to solve them. For the long term, not just in a press release or with a silver bullet. Yeah. So I'm asking everybody up here, and I'm going to ask you uh, about your goals for the week. So why right. are you here? I'm here because of this Compete to Win plan, right? There are so many things that we could be doing today that will make Michigan a better state in one or two, three years, but also that will put Michigan on a different path so in 10 years, in 20 years, we can say we didn't waste this moment in time where there's $10 billion of one-time money, where there's a real urgent need coming out of the pandemic to put Michigan in a place where it's education, it's economic development, it's talent development, and its overall competitiveness is gonna be in a place where it hasn't been in decades. So those are the conversations I'm having with business leaders, with elected officials, and this is a place where, because everyone is here, you get a lot done. There's the potential to have those agreements and those conversations, and it's happening. Yeah. All right, Jeff Donofrio, always great to see you. You too, Stephen. And really appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, thanks for everything you do, and uh, appreciate being here. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with more Detroit Today.
listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, today, I am really excited to welcome uh, a very important voice in Southeast Michigan uh, to the program. Wendy Jackson is the managing director of the Kresge Foundation. Wendy, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. It's a beautiful day on the island. It's great to be with you again, Stephen, here. So we are getting you fresh off of the stage here on Mackinac from a session that you did with Van Jones, uh, who's a familiar name, I think, everywhere in America. Mm -hmm. Talk about what that session was about. It's a subject that has come up over and over up here on Mackinac this year. Yeah, it really was a session about how do we move beyond polarized politics, not just in Lansing and in D.C., but even in our own communities, and how do we work better together. And so we had Van Jones and Dr. Morella Hernandez from the University of Michigan, as well as Representative Alyssa Slotkin give, I think, really concrete examples about how do you work together to solve problems Mm -hmm. in community? And their message was really simple. It was about building relationships, being proximate to the problem that you're trying to solve, and really trying to better understand how to hear one another and listen differently on solving issues that you have common ground on. You don't have to boil the whole ocean, but what's the one thing you can work on? The one or two things that you can work on to start to build trust and relationships and then move on from there. And when you think about the things that we're trying to do in the city of Detroit, I mean, I can think of hundreds of examples Mm -hmm. of where we could use more of this. Yes, yes. But in some ways, Detroit was also instructive Mm -hmm. uh, for the conversation. An example, just given some of the major issues that we've worked on together as a public and private sector in the city. And in many ways, a lot of those issues, we started really small, trying to tackle one thing, and it expanded to taking on some of the bigger challenges. So it was great to kind of see Detroit being a model in that respect. So I've been asking everybody, especially this year, why why they're here on Mackinac Island. Well, a couple of reasons, at least from a philanthropic perspective, that I would lift up. One is the fact that, you know, coming out of COVID, which was still, you know, we're still in a pandemic. Let's be clear about that. (laughs) But as we just get, uh, I think, better at understanding how to to work uh, in this kind of context, um, we have significant federal resources in our state and making sure that those resources are allocated and allocated in a way that uh, I think builds momentum for the future, particularly in communities like Detroit, where Mm -hmm. we work most extensively here in Michigan. So we're watching very closely um, how those federal infrastructure dollars are going to be allocated and what projects, particularly we're hoping that they're projects that improve infrastructure, water infrastructure, uh, particularly in the city of Detroit, but also um, infrastructure related to transit. We're also watching and looking at very closely and hope that on the other side of this conference, some progress will be made around the, the big question, how do we equitably fund education yeah. in our state? And let's get after that and let's get it done. Amen. I mean, that, we've been talking about that for such a long time. I know. It's just We have enough. all of the data that shows how we don't do it. We have all of the instructions about what we need to change to make it uh, much closer to reality. And we just don't have the political will. Right, right. And we've got examples of where it's working well. If I think about some of the work that's going on right now in Detroit, for example, with the Cradle to Career project at Marygrove, um, some of the work that uh, other philanthropic partners like the Skillman Foundation is engaged in with Youth Voice and Youth Leadership. Um, as well as an announcement, I believe, that uh, the Balmer Group and uh, the Ralph C. Wilson Foundation will be making on workforce. You know, we have powerful examples of things that are working, um, and we just need particularly our elected officials to, yeah. to, to lift up those examples and expand them in ways that... Yeah, uh, they got to get it together. Yeah, just I mean, get it we're, done. We're, we're getting lapped by other states uh, who have moved head head first into this space and really seen the results the idea that we can't get the 
the right hand to talk to the left hand in Lansing enough to get it done is really frustrating. Right, right. So I'm, I'm hopeful that on the other side of this conference and why I've made, as well as others, have made the time to be here mm-hmm. is to see that kind of progress. You know, the Ed Trust just released their latest report. It was so discouraging. Yes. It's like we've made no progress, no, hardly. We well, we on, haven't changed anything. Yeah, on yeah. education. Yeah. I'm talking with Wendy Lewis-Jackson. She is the managing director of the Kresge Foundation uh, in Detroit. I want to talk about some work that Kresge has been involved in recently. Uh, we had a discussion on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, about this split rate taxation issue. Uh, I, I think that's kind of complicated for people to understand. We tried to do a, a, a good job of explaining it, uh, but I'm curious to hear how Kresge got interested in this. You funded the study mm-hmm. that suggested that this could be a way to give some Detroit homeowners tax relief. Yes, yes. It's probably for some unusual to think of a foundation involved in municipal finance. <laughs> uh, but Not in Detroit. Not in Detroit. Uh, that's true. Uh, but it actually stems from the kind of recent uh, release of the uh, gradually then suddenly the kind of story of the bankruptcy sure. here in the city of Detroit. And there was still unfinished business from that fiscal cliff. And so as we kind of looked at what were some of the unfinished items that needed to be tackled Mm -hmm. still in the city, uh, structural tax reform was one of them, making sure that Detroiters have the kind of tax policy that is equitable and benefits uh, them in a way that builds quality of life. And so from that standpoint, in some ways, it was a no-brainer for us to go ahead and fund this research so that we can see what the different alternatives are. And uh, we came to know kind of the split rate tax process from looking at other cities and how they tax um, folks that are basically holding land in the city in a way that uh, is detrimental to residents. And so when we looked at uh, Pittsburgh in particular and how their split rate tax works, we thought, let's fund that research and see what the opportunities could be for Detroit. Yeah. Uh, When we talk about taxes in Detroit, and you and I pay Detroit taxes (laughs) as homeowners and uh, income earners, um, I I think it's hard for people to to really understand if they don't live in the city just how big an impediment it still is. And, And there's been a lot of effort to give us some relief here and there, but you are talking about the single deciding issue, I think, for so many people between whether to live in Detroit and whether to live in Rose Point or Royal Oak mm-hmm. or Bloomfield. I mean, it, it is the issue. Right. I mean, everyone wants value for service. And in the city of Detroit, we really have to look at our tax structure and a tax structure that builds revenue, but also provides relief for Detroiters yeah. uh, and and provides relief and ensures that Detroiters have the kind of services that their tax dollar uh, will afford for them. Should be buying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, it's it's a problem at both ends, too, of of the economic scale, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Detroiters who are paying a lot of money for houses and living in, in very stable neighborhoods have different challenges, but just as formidable a challenge as people at the very bottom of the economic scale who can't afford to stay in, in, in their houses. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the session that we did here at Mackinac around common ground, that's a perfect example uh-huh. because it benefits, uh, tackling the issue will benefit all Detroiters Everybody. regardless if you uh, have more of an income or have less of an income. Yeah. But yeah, it's an issue that foundations typically aren't... <laughs> Known to be engaged in. Yes, well, we reinvent the wheel all the time in Detroit. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I I want to talk a little about um, transit, uh, Mm. and I want to talk specifically about M1, uh, the the light rail, Mm -hmm. which is now rebooting after uh, the pandemic. I wonder, as one of the major funders uh, of M1, what you make of what it has accomplished so far, and what else you think we need we need to do. Yeah, great question. I think, you know, the plan uh, as it relates to M1 is still the plan in that M1 was to be a a real live example 
of what a more robust transit system could be for the city of Detroit. And so that kind of uh, big audacious goal is still very much uh, uh, in front of us, and particularly for those of us, uh, whether it's the foundation community or the private sector and the public sector who are working on transit. So there's unfinished business. You know, the M1 line is just one piece of what needs to happen. We need something that goes to eight mile. We still need something on the arterials, whether it's bus rapid transit or other forms of mobility. Mm -hmm. uh, the goal is really for Detroit to become that kind of hub, nationally renowned hub for mobility in this country. And M1 is one piece of that. So that the goal hasn't changed. And now that it's opening back up, I think we can begin to talk about it in a way that uh, can get some things done since we have this infrastructure funding now in the state. Is it working? Is M1 a success? You know, it's working as it comes back online. You know, the pandemic was hard. Yeah. It was hard for the light rail line with the pandemic. You know, you had no ridership. <laughs> right. um, so now that it's opening back up, we're seeing uh, increased ridership and it's fulfilling in many ways the original goals of being that Again, demonstration of what a light rail line could look like sure. uh, along Woodward um, and help folks get to jobs, uh, get to entertainment, um, and have uh, more convenience uh, without having to you know, use uh, their car. Yeah, get out of the car. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. One of the things that I thought didn't get enough attention when we were thinking about that line and building it is its relationship to development along the way that uh, lines like that inspire development especially around stations and I think that we can point to some real differences already in the way that people are thinking about development along that line and how it is tracking with where you can get on and off the train. Yeah exactly and uh, you know the original thinking around the complementary relationship of development and the line you know we definitely are seeing evidence of that and I think we could probably uh, stand to even be more intentional as discussions occur about what's next for M1 yeah. and whether it's the expansion or strengthening the existing line and connecting it to other forms of mobility in the city but you know that relationship between transit and development that's why this is so critical it is it is and to your point and it's not just about a light rail line it really is about economic development mm -hmm. i want to give you a chance to talk a little about kip d yeah. which is this really wonderful investment in community-based projects in Detroit. Uh, You're you now in the seventh? Uh, yeah, seven years. My goodness. Yeah, so our Kresge Innovative Projects Detroit initiative, KIPP D, it's near and dear to our heart because this is where residents in neighborhoods get to see positive change in a relatively short period of time. Yes, yes. Um, and in this year, in our seventh year, we changed it up a little mm -hmm. um, and went with more of a participatory, what we call in philanthropy, participatory grant-making process or trust-based philanthropy, where this was an opportunity for residents to make the decisions on what projects they wanted to see happen mm -hmm. in their community. So it wasn't uh, the foundation saying, oh, we're looking at these proposals and you know these are the selections that we're going to make it was more of a process of okay, k community this is the amount of money that's available what would you like to see happen and yeah. folks apply uh, going through that new process yeah. so and in the 7 years we've seen i mean if you go neighborhood to neighborhood in detroit you really can see the impact that this money has had. It's yeah, yeah. Folks uh, listening could just kind of visualize a map of Detroit, and and it's almost a lighting up a light bulb of different projects that are going on across the city. And yeah, uh, yeah in the seventh year, we're I think close to uh, 150, maybe 200 projects. Um, so it's really exciting. And this year we added Hamtramck and Highland Park. Oh, so there you go. Right. Uh, once the announcements are made, you're going to see some, some new communities come online. Yeah, those are important keys to uh, the core of uh, Detroit as well. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So we thought this would be the time to include uh, those communities. 
Okay, Wendy Jackson, Managing Director of the Kresge Foundation. Always great to see you, always great to catch up, and uh, thanks for being here it's with us. It's great to be with you, Stephen. Thanks again. Yeah. We'll take a break, and when we come back, there will be more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDT. I'm Stephen Anderson, your host. As always, thanks for tuning in. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Detroit Regional Chamber's annual Mackinac Policy Conference. Joining us now is somebody who has been a problem solver for a really, really long time uh, in our state. Candace Miller was the U.S. Representative for Michigan's 10th Congressional District. She's a former Michigan Secretary of State, Macomb County Treasurer, and Harrison Township Supervisor. Since 2017, she has been the Public Works Commissioner in Macomb County. Candace Miller, it's always great to see you. Thank Welcome you. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to join with you. I, I feel sort of aged when you go through the entire <laughs> uh, litany of different things that I've done. It's experienced. <clears throat> it is not aged. Uh, you have yeah, done right. all of those things. That's and right. Done yep. them at a very high level, uh, each one of them. I always want to start with you talking about infrastructure, of course. That's, of course. Uh, that's your job. But I think you're one of the m- more rational and urgent voices about infrastructure and how badly uh, we're taking care of it in the state of Michigan. We can start in Macomb County if you want, but you talk uh, frequently about how badly we as a state are doing keeping things together. Well, let's not forget, and I, I don't think there was much talk of it up on the island, which I'm sort of surprised, but just a year ago, really, we had all the in June, we had all this extensive flooding where the city of Detroit on the east side mm-hmm. and around Jefferson area just flooded out neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gross points all flooded. <clears throat> Excuse me. We did not flood. In, uh, we're sort of at the up end of the pipe there mm-hmm. in St. Clair Shores mm-hmm. when it came into Macomb County because of some things that we did. We probably saved about 4,000 basements from flooding, but we don't really think about underground infrastructure or pumps or what have you, redundancy in our infrastructure, uh, because guess what? When it storms, that's when the power goes out, so you need to be prepared. Uh, Or if I-94 or whatever, some of the major expressways because of the underpasses, all the uh, low underpasses, below-grade underpasses are in southeast Michigan. Mm -hmm. They're not up here on your way up to Mackinac Island, you know, (laughs) in somewhere. They're they're where we live. And having a negative economic impact on our ability to transit goods and services, etc. But anyway, we're hardly even talking about that at the island, and yet that was really a, a disaster. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the most disruptive things I've ever witnessed in the city of Detroit. Yeah. The number of people who were affected and and the losses and, you know, property losses and, and personal belongings oh, that uh, things you can't that you replace. never replace. Yeah. 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 Well, we actually have a uh, about a $45 million project right now at our pump station at Nine Mile and Jefferson in St. Clair Shores, right at the border mm-hmm. of Macomb County, where there's not been a new pump station since 1968. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you have to identify the problems. Yeah. You have to try to figure out the solution to the problems. You have to understand what the realistic cost is that you can afford right uh but then you have to address the problem and and not just for the immediacy if we have another heavy rain but i don't know if it's climate change or what's happening but we're getting more rain more intensity of rainstorms something is happening and we need to think about it generationally we need to have the political will to do what we need to do and uh Get it done. Yeah. Fix it. Yeah. So so let's go back to that cost question because that comes up immediately when you talk about infrastructure. None of this is cheap. We also don't have, in, at least in my view, uh, the kind of revenue structures in place that would give us the kind of money to do all of the things that need to be done, at least in a, a reasonable time frame. So, so talk about how you're able to build this new pump. Uh, at uh, Nine Mile and Jefferson. How do you even get money to do something like that in this environment? Well, you talked about my extensive background in, in, in <laughs> politics, I guess, and I'd like to think You know that a little about uh, getting money. I, I got the system. I understand the system, and so I'm, I like to think that my county, my community, 
people that I live with and grew up with are taking advantage of uh, experiences uh, that I have had. Uh, because we got, uh, well, we got $6.5 million of federal earmarks mm-hmm. uh, thanks to our two United States senators, both Peters and Stabenow, were very helpful. But then I just got $72 million from the state legislature in this last infrastructure bill that was earmarked for our projects, not just the pump station, but we're doing, uh, you know, we, we have about $150 million of projects right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're redoing our interceptor at two strategic locations so we don't have another sinkhole. Another thing you don't think about until your house sinks into a hole. You know, maybe <laughs> someone should have fixed this right. in the past. Right. So we're doing those kinds of things. And then, and this money is, um, the $72 million is ARP money, American Rescue Plan money. Uh, so it's really federal dollars, yeah. which is flowing. You know, we're not going to have another opportunity this like this. It's not going to happen again. And if you can't get it while it's going by, yeah. you're not getting it. Right. And it's going by right now. Yeah. And um, we also, uh, at our county, our uh, Macomb County got quite a bit of ARP money. And uh, my good buddy, uh, County Exec Mark Hackle <laughs> and the Board of Commissioners have agreed. Uh, and they're going to be voting here shortly. But we think our department will get about a third of the county's money. Oh, really? Wow. So it really goes a long way to being able to uh, provide us with uh, paying for some of these things that are so critically needed, saves the ratepayers because otherwise we'd have to go into the bond market and do this. Uh, but there, we still have other things to do. And, and what I tell people about infrastructure when we think about all of these issues, and I'm just talking about Macomb, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you go, in, in whether it's in Michigan or anywhere across the nation, in the older communities, stuff is just... It's old. It's, it's antiquated. Old. It's it's undersized. It's falling apart. We've got to, we have to invest in it. Uh, but you can't be overwhelmed by the problem because it is easy to be overwhelmed. You think, oh, my gosh, we can never afford this. So, you know, I'm going to go do something that I might be able to have an impact on. You have to look. I always say I sort of look at it like how do you eat an elephant? One bite, One bite at a time, time right? <laughs> and you have to make steady progress. And, again, you're doing it for the next, gen- not just in the immediacy, but we have to think of it generationally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get to some other topics uh, as well, but on the infrastructure question, so we got this situation because we didn't take care of the infrastructure to begin with. Now we're talking about getting the money together to make up for that backlog, the things that we didn't do. We still have to think about how do we take care of what we're fixing now so that in 30 or 40 years, somebody else is not uh, in your job going, oh, my goodness, I, we, we got to replace this pump and, uh, at the right. last minute because uh, we haven't taken care of it. Uh, and that's a much more difficult conversation, it seems like, for us to have. I think that's true because if you're going to put in place something that would uh, be more of a permanent fixed fix. I mean, you're probably talking about some sort of tax, right? Or something. So, Money's got to come from somewhere. You know, right. and uh, that's that's something I'm not addressing right now. I'll tell you honestly, right? I'm just trying to fix what I have. Mm-hmm. But the things that we are working on, we are not, this is also a problem uh, in the past, is how we have built things, I think. We uh, maybe skimped uh, in different areas, right? Yeah. Because that was all that we had or whatever. I'm trying not to do that. I mean, like at our pump station, it's going to cost more than what we thought because we are going to put some enormous generators in there. Huh. Uh, and, you know, I don't really need them now, but maybe in 10 but years they're going to need them and yeah. I won't be around, you know? Right. Somebody should, I don't want them saying, what the heck did that woman do, right? <laughs> here we all were left holding the bag here, right? Or on our uh, interceptors. Where we're replacing, we're actually relining these interceptors with a very expensive product. It's called Hobos. It's a sort of a polymer uh, fiberglass impervious material that is not going to be like, uh, you know, non-reinforced concrete. That, that's how we built the interceptors back in the day. Now, this thing, literally, I don't know what the life expectancy <laughs> is because it is almost forever, yeah. you know, almost forever. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, they'll be able to inspect if there's any kind of uh, integrity problems with the pipe. But it will be so far into the future. And, again, that's expensive. I could probably use a cheaper product, but I'm not going to because you have to think about. We talk about our roads, right? Why are our roads? We just repaved this road. Now it's falling apart. I mean, let us think about not just the product, not just the cost, but you think about the quality. In fact, uh, just one other thing on this issue. When we bid, and of course everything now in our department is bid, which did not happen in the past. Not true before, right? Right. <laughs> Openly bid. Everything is transparent. 
that helps ensure a good product yeah. in my mind. Yeah. Uh, but as well, we have a qualification panel. Mm-hmm. So I'll put a dozen people on, different engineers, people, engineers from the community we're doing a project in or whatever. And they go through and they score the individual contractors. And the last thing they look at is cost. Mm. And some people say, well, geez, don't tell the Board of Commissioners that or whatever. I go, no, I tell anybody that. It's the last thing we look at. It does have an impact, but we're looking for a quality product. Yeah. And sometimes you have to spend a dime to save a dollar. Yeah. So yeah. that's the way we think of things. Not always. We try to do our best. I think that's a really important, I mean, that's a really important thing to hear a public official say that I'm not just looking for the, the cheapest way to get this done. I'm looking for the best way. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking about the future. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about your, your children, yeah. my children, my right. grandchildren, right? right? Maybe they won't have to pay this big bill. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, we need to, uh, we, I think we need to change uh, sort of the, our, our mental culture on how we have thought about infrastructure sure. and investing. And that's particularly so with underground. I've got a bit of a harder sell because... If you're driving along Jefferson and you go into a pothole, you see it, you just felt it, you know it needs to be fixed. But if your interceptor under Jefferson is falling apart yeah. or the pumps aren't working, you don't even see it yeah. until, until something... Until the whole road collapses. Right. So yeah. it, it might be out of sight, but it can't be out of mind. Yeah. So I'm going to needle you a bit here. Um. <laughs> okay. That's why I come on your show because I, I know you're going to do <laughs> you that. You know I'm going to do <laughs> it. Sort of get me warmed up here and then boom. That's right. <laughs> Um, why aren't you running for governor? You know what? I, I'm just going to be try to be as honest <laughs> as I can. It's uh, it's not a job that I am interested in at, at this point, and mm-hmm. and probably now because of my age, will never be. Uh, the environment is extremely toxic, so toxic. It's one of the reasons I love Washington, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's it's just a, I don't know, goodness. You know, I am a problem solver, yes. and, and, and I just say it, there are so many problems in Michigan. I'd probably worry myself into an early <laughs> grave, right, because I think, oh, my gosh, i got a buffet here of things that are all critical. Yeah. But uh, I just, uh, I know it, really, it, you know, I've been involved in politics for four decades, mm-hmm. and I've had wonderful, wonderful opportunities, as I say, to take advantage of and to do different things, and hopefully I've done that in my lifetime, but... I'm, I'm sort of settled now yeah. where I am. I really, for many years, I was the only Michigan member on the Transportation Infrastructure mm-hmm. Committee mm-hmm. in the House. So I always had that interest. And, of course, my entire life, I've, uh, I've been a principal advocate, like all of us are in Michigan, for yeah. clean water, sure. our Great Lakes. And uh, this job, in many ways, has been a perfect nexus for me. I'll tell you one thing. I was telling Brenda Lawrence yesterday. I said, you know, you and I may be the two happiest women on the island because I left Washington and you're about to. She's about to, you know. But you feel like at the end of the day, you actually had an impact in something. And and, uh, toward the end there. you didn't feel that in Washington. I I was having a harder time feeling it. And, you know, I do come from Macomb County, which is the home of the Reagan Democrats. Uh And, of course, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative person. Yeah. Uh, But, um, you know, I was always... I mean, Mark Hackle is my best political buddy. He's, he's, we call ourselves the odd couple, you know. He's a Democrat. I'm the Republican. We, we honestly, people are going to think, oh, she's a politician saying this. But I'm telling you, in all honesty, we very rarely talk party politics. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about, okay, here's this issue. How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to solve it? What are we going to do? And, uh, you know, I, I, I find a lot of... Um, satisfaction yeah. in that yeah so so i mean the reason i ask you that question is i mean I, you know i'm not a republican and and uh i'm not a conservative but i'm really concerned about the republican party um because i'm i live in michigan right yeah, and i know sure. that that uh, we have two parties, and there's going to be times when the other party is in charge, and uh, and you want that person or those people uh, to be uh, of 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 a good mind and good character and and focused on the right things. And I just I, I look at the field, and I think of the people who aren't in it. Yourself, Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly was the lieutenant governor of our state. Three years ago, uh, he's nowhere in the conversation about this governor's race. I, I, I just can't. I just can't imagine how we got to this space in the GOP. Well, I don't feel that it's quite all doom and gloom. No? I guess I, you know, I do think we uh, we have uh, 
several candidates who are going to be on the ballot for uh, for governor uh, who are worth a good look, worth a good look. And I think the voters will take a good look at them. I will tell you this. I, I think, you know, I've seen a lot of internal polling and uh, not to be partisan, but I have never seen worse numbers for a president, certainly in, in my county, that I have seen in my lifetime. So... You know, every election, I think of elections as being about the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in this case, we'll have uh, our governor who will be talking about her record, right? She's got to run on her record. She has to run on her record. Uh, And then, you know, but it's always about the candidates, and it's always a binary choice. You do have to pick one. Yeah. Many people say, well, I'm not voting for either one. Well, (laughs) I don't know if that's That's sort of a a cop-out. You know, it's really not a choice. So um, we have to do the best we can as a people. And I think the voters, listen, there's reciprocity in all relationships. Meaning it's not just the politicians that have to go do all this Mm -hmm, stuff. mm -hmm. If you are a registered voter in Michigan, you have your part to play. So yes, you do need to vote. You do need to figure out which candidates reflect your values the best and who you think can build the best future for Michigan. And um, I don't know. I have great trust in the in the voters. Yeah. Yeah, I was just talking to uh, your producer here about <laughs> kids, right? Yeah. At the at the high school level and in, in the colleges, and and I told we we both agreed. I said, you know, sometimes you you think the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Until you talk to these young people who have had unbelievable challenges yeah. with whether it's been COVID or all of these things, right? Things we never even we never had to did. Think of. And yet you look at them. These are these. These are remarkable, a, a remarkable generation. And uh, I don't know why we're worried. But after you go talk to them, right, you think, oh, wow, this kid could be the president. Yeah. No problem at all. <laughs> so they're out there. We just yeah. have to get them. And, and I wish they would be more interested in politics yeah. than they are. And, and maybe they'll they will. There. I think you know? they'll get there. Yeah, maybe yeah. they will. Yeah. And uh, in, in every race, in every gender. You know, I'm doing a panel here this in a couple hours on... Uh, Women in leadership, yes, you know, you are. and uh, I don't know. I'm going I'm to tell them, uh, you know, a couple of stories. It was funny because they said to me, well, you know, this is different, this panel, because we're not talking policy and we don't want to talk politics. And I said, well, what do you want me to talk about? I mean, I can't tell you my Las Vegas story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll think of something. Uh, but um, yeah. one thing I always think about with women is... Those of us that have been able to get the opportunity to get on the elevator going up, don't forget about sending the elevator back down to pick our sisters up and bring them up because it's a generational thing. That's right. It's not about partisanship. It's all women have to, you know, just help the next group. And uh, we're all getting there. That's a wonderful way to put that. Well, I I, I do believe that, right? I'm a big team kind of a person. You know, I raced sailboats for years. That always taught me about it's it's you got to have a captain that makes a final decision, but you got to build consensus. You're looking at your team. You're looking at your crew because everybody's got everybody's back. Otherwise, you're going to get into a storm and. uh, you're going to have all kinds of issues. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I, I see that in, in almost everything in life. Yeah. Well, Candace, it is always a delight to talk with you about these things. And I don't needle you too much, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. You were easy on me this time. <laughs> Just a little. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for being here on Detroit today. Thanks so much. Right. That's going to do it for us today. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. 